Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello there and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linnan. It's our first podcast of the year and being a politics podcast, we do, of course, love a good vote. And so we are going to be blessed this year. We have a referendum coming in March, local elections and European elections in June. And I think most bookies would give strong odds of a general election before the end of the year. And we haven't actually had a national vote for uh, almost four years now. So certainly I'm looking forward to these. But elections, uh, while being the pinnacle of democracy in one sense, also pose certain challenges to the political system. And this is a particularly unique year, I think it's fair to say, because this is the first year that all these votes will be taking place under the oversight of the new Electoral Commission. I'm joined today by the Chief Executive of the Electoral Commission, Art O'Leary. You're very welcome. Morning, Hugh. Thanks for the invitation. I'm a, a long-time fan of this particular podcast. Oh, great to hear it. It's a big year for you. I mean, not just because it's your first elections, but there's an awful lot of votes, as I said, coming up. Yeah, there are many. You know, in, in the next 22 months, there will be every single type of election which is possible to have in this country. So it's an exciting time for politics watchers and uh, an exciting time for democracy as well. Maybe you could just give us a, an overview of what the role of the Electoral Commission does and what, if anything, it replaces. Okay, well, on Comshun Tokon was established in February um, of last year. Uh, so we're less than a year old and we've taken on a number of existing electoral functions. So you have already seen our constituency review which we published in uh, August of last year, which resulted in the greatest transformation of the electoral landscape since the early 1980s. We now moved straight into um, an information campaign for the referendums, which are coming in March. That's taking over the old functions of the Referendum Commission. But we have a number of new um, functions as well. We have new education and research uh, functions, which are very exciting. And we have great ambitions in that regard. But as an oversight body, we have oversight of the electoral register and we also, in parts four and five of the legislation, which haven't been commenced yet, have specific responsibility for issues around online political advertising and misinformation and disinformation. Maybe we can explore some of those a, a little bit later, but maybe to start at the at the very beginning, you mentioned there the, the constituency review, which landed to the great interest of the political classes at the end of the summer. How difficult was that task for you to, as you say, make the biggest changes in, in 30 or 40 years? Yeah, it was very difficult. You know, our, our constitution provides that there is one TD for every twenty to 30,000 of the population. And I, I have described it since then as a battle between maths and geography. Sometimes geography wins, sometimes maths wins. So um, there were some people who were obviously very disappointed with the um, the outcome, but others who were pleased. So um, it, it resulted in an additional 14 TDs um, to bring the number up to 174, which will um, be the number for the, the next general election. Gen- general election whenever it happens. So 
Um, it was an interesting experience, not least because it, it, it's a job that normally takes nearly a year and a half. And with a new commission, we had about five months to do it. So it was very, very intensive. And we spent many, many months and many, many meetings with maps and spreadsheets uh, over big tables um, huddled around with the new members of the commission. I mean, there were certain guidelines within which you were required to work, which probably made the job, I suspect, a little more difficult. One which is understandable, I think, was to try not to breach county boundaries where possible. Yeah, and this is something we have discovered in, in many of the public submissions that people made that county boundaries are very important um, to people. They like to vote with their community, with their tribe um, as well. We managed to, to solve many of the county boundary breaches which were created in the previous uh, commission's work, but there were a number of instances where um, people were disappointed that we couldn't, and specifically in places like Erlingford and West Kilkenny and in South Donegal, we just simply, because it was a case where the maths beat the geography, you know, we just simply didn't have the flexibility um, to make those changes to. And Wexford and Wicklow obviously was a cause of um, some comment as well. But the, one of the other um, boundaries that we had, if you'd like to call it that, was the fact that we could only create three, four and five seat constituencies. And um, obviously that limited our flexibility in how we approached this as well. Because if you think back to the review, um, there were a number of constituencies which were five seaters who were simply too big to remain as five seaters. So we have no choice except to cut them in two and create two three-seaters or to hack a piece off um, the constituency and give it to a neighbouring um, constituency too. So our hands are tied a little bit as well. I, I, I'm not sure how, how much you, you would like to comment on this, but you know the, the point was made it was a subject of some political contention about whether you should be given the power to go up to larger constituencies, which has been the case back in the history of the state. There were, I think, seven seat constituencies at one point in the in the history of the state. Is it fair to say that would have it would have made your job practically easier if that option had been on the table? Well, it would have made it different, I think you. You know, I mean, I, I never like to second guess the wisdom of the Oireachtas in these matters, but in the 40s, as you said, we had seven, eight and nine seat constituencies, you know, up until the 1940s. We've never had a six seat constituency in this country, but it is something that the Commission has recommended that we do some research on for um, the, for the, the next boundary review in 2028. Because so, it would give you another maths uh, tool in your, it, in your, it, in your it, toolbox, maybe it, to address that South Donegal problem, it, for example. It, exactly. Well, they, in this particular review, um, if there was an option to create six seat constituencies, perhaps then we wouldn't have split Fingal. And Wexford might have fit nicely as a six-seat constituency and also perhaps Tipperary might have stayed the same as well. But there's no point in looking back at that. It, 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 the maths and the geography is as, as it is. So um, There is a further point about large-seat constituencies, which may not be within in your remit, but that they do tend to be end up giving us a dull which is more representative of the popular vote. That's what the academics say, and they're very strongly of that view, is that the larger the constituency, the more representative of the, the people it, it is. So um, there is a push um, within some in, in the academic community to get rid of three-seaters and to move to larger um, constituencies too. So like I said, we'll do some research on this um, issue this year, during the course of this year, and we'll make some recommendations to government um, in due course. Now, you mentioned the electoral register. I mean, there is there has been a view around for a long time that the electoral register is not in great shape. Um, my understanding is that it differs around the country, that local authorities are, are responsible for maintaining it, and perhaps some have been doing a better job than others. But it's not 
uncommon to have an experience as I think I only had only last week. I was talking to somebody who has been living in Dublin for pretty much their whole adult life. And they said when they go home to their parents' house elsewhere than Dublin, the, uh, they still get uh, the opportunity to vote down there. The, the voting slip still arrives at a time of any, any election. I forbore from asking them why they didn't get off their arse and cancel it themselves. But that's not an uncommon story, is it? No, it's not. And um, the, there's a brilliant project going on in the Custom House at the moment um, to revamp the electoral register, basically to include dates of birth and PPS numbers for individuals, which are unique identifiers, which in um, in the next couple of years will make a massive difference to the electoral register because there'll be a single database which will allow people to elim- eliminate duplicates then because right now, I mean, there is no single electoral register. There are 28 different electoral registers run by each local authority and they have no connection between them. So your your friend then who goes home to, um, lives in Dublin perhaps and goes home to Cork or Kerry, um, there's no connection um, between these two uh, separate electoral registers and the new database will spot the connection and ask the person, where do you want, where are you ordinarily resident? Where and would that you like will to be vote? run centrally as opposed to through the local authorities? Correct, yeah. Well, the database will be held centrally and the uh, the local authorities will continue to work on their own register as well, but the connection to a centralised database um, So will, do we have any place. sense of how bad that problem is? You know, because it is, it does feed into things like, you know, our understanding of what, what turnout really is. Yeah. Um, because because we don't have a we don't have a verifiable universal number for yeah. the number of people who can vote in the country. We don't know is is the answer um, to that. But in a couple of years' time, um, the electoral register should be bulletproof, and we'll have a brilliant springboard from which to move forward and to be able to measure the the performance of on Commission Taohon. Because one of our um, key jobs is to enhance turnout at electoral events. And um, well, if we don't know what the, the the actual number of the voting population is, it's pretty difficult to measure um, whether we've improved turnout or not. So, um, but then the cleanup will go on. Turnout around the country, for example, I think uh, of Dublin Central, which is a constituency just across the river from us here, which I think is nearly always the um, the constituency with the lowest turnout at every at every general election. Uh, a lot of people often ascribe that to the fact that it's a kind of socio-demographic reasons. It's one of the most economically marginalised populations in the country, and that that may be true. Those people tend to vote less, but there are probably other reasons too. It's a particularly, it's probably a, uh, a high proportion of migrants living in that constituency who may not be entitled to vote. It's probably a more transient population, and if the register isn't as isn't as quick on its feet in capturing that, you know, you could you could end up with a, you know, with a representation of the of the voters which isn't correct. Um, but of course, the the constituencies themselves, the size of them is not based upon the number of people entitled to vote in the constituencies. It's no. a it's a it's a pure headcount based on the census. It's population, yeah, that's right. So um, that it again provided for in, in the the constitution. And right now, our population is, is growing, and it's never expressed in these terms, but it's growing at a rate of two TDs per year. So every electra, every census um, cycle, every five years, will result in an additional uh, 11 um, TDs. Unless we change uh, the constitution. Until somebody puts their hand up and says, stop this, you know. So again, it's something that the Uncommission have decided to do some research on. And we look forward to, um, a, a, this will require a, some big thinking. There are many, many solutions to this. I mean, from capping the numbers or changing the 20 to 30 to 30 to 40 or applying some other formula um, to it as well. So... Um, we look forward to... There is an element yeah. of Turkey's voting for Christmas there if TDs are going to vote on having fewer TDs in the future. 
Correct, yeah. But, I mean, ultimately, this is why the, an independent uh, electoral commission has been asked to, to do the job. You know, it, it, it takes the politics out of um, all of these questions. So um, our job is to make recommendations um, to government and to the Oireachtas on these matters, and um, I look forward to them being taken seriously. There are a number of these research projects which you are which you are undertaking. Maybe you could describe some of them. Well, we, we have a, a call for research um, out at the moment. So um, for any of your listeners who has a, a strong burning um, electoral matter which needs further exploration, um, you have until the middle of the month um, to send us a submission. So go to our website. We'd be delighted to hear from you. But um, the Minister has suggested, um, the Minister for Housing has suggested a number of projects such as voting at 16, should we reduce the voting age to 16, should we get rid of postering, should, what should we do about um, postal voting, should we extend the franchise to um, allow more people to vote by post, and then the one which caused some consternation in the letters page of the Irish Times over the summer was the getting rid of by-elections um, and uh, moving to the, the the model that we use for the European Parliament. So, um these are all big issues and Irish people um, love elections. They love electoral matters. And um, we've had great engagement so far in the public call for consultation. And um, we have uh, a few days left uh, for, for that. I think, I think the 12th of January is the closing date. So um, please, to the members of the public, we'd love to hear from you. I'd say our listeners would be very keen to, to get on to you about some of those. I mean, they're all fascinating in their own ways. And some of them are, are, are elements that are if not unique to the Irish electoral system, they're particularly central to the Irish electoral system, like postering. You know, you go to other countries, many other countries, when elections are on and you'd barely know that they're on. And in Ireland, we have this fiesta of brightly coloured plastic adorning every every lamppost. And there are mixed feelings about that. Yeah, in, indeed. And um, there, there are environmental issues um, around this, obviously, which, um, which are of concern to many people. But also, we shouldn't forget that um, there is evidence here that some people don't know that elections are on until the posters go up, you know. So it does um, give people an opportunity to say, well, well, there's something going on. I can see something on the on the poster there. And um, getting rid of postering, according to some of the academics, would favour incumbents who are already public figures and um, new candidates would be denied the opportunity to introduce themselves to the public by putting a new face on uh, on a poster as well. So... I mean, there are pros and cons of all of these things, and the Commission's job will be to weigh up um, the, these pros and cons and to make a, a recommendation. And underlying a lot of what you'll be doing, as you said earlier, is one of your objectives is to increase turnout. So that would be a factor you take into account in, in that uh, example. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and yet some of these issues are ultimately political, aren't they? Or they become, they become politicised to some degree as well, as you said. Getting rid of by-elections, I think most people who look at that would say, well, that would tend to favour incumbents, you know, you know, the party that's in power at a given time. By-elections are notoriously disruptive to, to governments and, you know, can, can cause all kinds of destabilisation. As you said, getting rid of posters may benefit incumbents rather, rather than new arrivals. It, the whole question of maximising turnout has become highly politicised in com- some countries. I think of the United States, for example, and at the at the last presidential election and possibly at the next one, the question of access to the ballot has become really, you know, a hot hot topic, you know. And I wondered, in Ireland in particular, you mentioned postal voting. Are we particularly restrictive in the, the limitations that we place on the ability to vote outside being physically present at the at polling station on the yeah, day? We are quite restrictive. You know, I mean, there are obviously examples of uh, public servants who are working abroad and embassies, and um, it's a small number of people, but people with a disability. 
um, also um, can vote by post as well. But there are some barriers um, to, to that too. They have to go and get medical certification and uh, etc. There has been some work done um, in the, the last Electoral Act just to ensure that um, you only have to do it once. It, it used to be that you had to go every year to um, to get, get a postal vote, but um, that has been changed now. But I, I spoke at the National Disability um, Associations Conference um, recently, and I heard directly from um, disabled people and um, and groups of the, the barriers that they face. And our job will be to get really get into the undergrowth there and find out where the barriers are and try and remove as many of them as possible. Because um, our big job is to reach out to groups who currently don't engage. You know, they're unengaged or disengaged. And um, we have a big job to do there, and the, the public. So that might include front. things like literacy problems in terms of th- those those sorts of issues. Yeah, I mean, I spoke at the Dublin Adult Literacy um, uh, Associations uh, event recently, and they're doing some brilliant work in the northeast inner city um, at the moment, encouraging people to vote. And um, they they're, they're running a, a six week course on democracy and electoral matters, showing people um, how to get on the register and how to vote and um, and all of that. And, and some of the feedback um, from the, the participants in the course that six weeks wasn't long enough. They wanted more, you know. So we, we need to tap into this as well. And um, I, I was at the Citizens Assembly meeting on uh, drug use during the summer and somebody said something at that meeting which profoundly affected the way that um, uh, I, I view these matters because... Um, there was a, a, a speaker who was talking about, um, he worked in an addiction centre and for treatment of addicts. And he said, there are no such thing as hard to reach groups or hard to reach people. There are only hard to reach services. You know, so um, it, it, we've been looking at this issue, I think, from the wrong end of the telescope for many years because we're saying, well, these are hard to reach groups like immigrants and um, travelers and young people, etc. And um, they're very hard to reach. It's very difficult for us. You know, these people live their lives. They get up every day and they go to work and they go about their business. It's my job to hang out now where, where all these people hang out and encourage them to vote. And we need to be in their communities and wherever that is, whether it's virtual or whether it's real, but we need to be able to communicate properly with them and to encourage people to vote and to show them the wisdom um, of, of voting as well. You know, so And what about getting those people, and indeed, you know, a broader swathe of people as well, just making it easier for them to vote or indeed... Um, not penalising them because they have to be out of their constituency for work reasons or indeed for holiday reasons or maybe they're in hospital or whatever it might be. I mean, there's, there is no real strong argument against facilitating those people to vote, is there? No, is the short answer. And I, I was in Australia last year and the, uh, it's compulsory to vote in Australia, as you know. And so they go out of their way to make it as easy as possible for people to vote. And in the most recent Australian referendum, um, on uh, a voice for parliament for uh, indigenous peoples. Uh, any Australian citizen can walk into any Australian embassy anywhere in the world and vote. And I popped into the Australian embassy to have a look at the setup. And they have ballot boxes, they have the electoral register, and they have ballot papers. And you go in and you in any booth, and um, and you and your vote is sent back to um, wherever you came from. You know, and it's extraordinary. You know, did you see that ever happening with with the many hundreds of thousands of Irish people who live outside the country? Well, I mean, 
there is a referendum promised in the, in the program for government um, on the votes for our citizens outside the state in presidential elections. So the Taoiseach said lately that it, it was the intention to run that referendum at the same time as the presidential election in October 2025. So ultimately, the people of Ireland will have a say in that. Including everybody in Northern Ireland and the many, as I said, hundreds of thousands, correct. if not millions of Irish expatriates. Yeah, correct. Do you, you know, do, so, do you think they would vote? Do you think yeah. that many expatriates Oh, I think, I, I think people, given the opportunity, um, it w- will vote, you know. Um, in what numbers, who knows, you know. Um, it's one of these things where we don't know. I mean, there, obviously, but there will be challenges um, involved in that. You know, if, um, if you think the electoral register in this country is complicated, try creating an electoral register for the Irish citizens who live outside the state, you know, and then we'd have to work out a way of them voting. You know, I think uh, many countries um, turn up at the local embassy in, um, in, uh, in whatever country we've seen it in mm-hmm. Brazil um, uh, recently and, um, and Argentina as well, people queuing um, to vote, which is, um, which is a very heartwarming sight. Probably, depending on the numbers, probably wouldn't be as suitable, perhaps. So um, maybe we might look at postal voting or, God forbid, are we going to talk about electronic voting again? Maybe, who knows? Any possibility of that? I mean, the, the, the strange moment when we were just on the verge of introducing electronic voting and then it was kicked out. There is something about the, the Pian Louis, as Bertie O'Hearn described it at the time, isn't it? Um, that that does seem to give confidence in the system because it's so visible. Yeah, and the, the transparency involved in that is um, is huge. And Irish people love elections, you know, and if there's one thing they like more than actually voting, it's the count afterwards, you know, the long drawn out count. And um, for, from my perspective, you know, the count, a count that lasts for two or three days or four days even, um, is the greatest educational opportunity, which is yeah. a gift to, to us because high pe- drama. people yeah. understand, you know, mm. elections and transfers and uh, eliminations and votes going here, there and everywhere. And it's a real opportunity to explain what way elections work and that might disappear with um, with electronic voting. But having said that, I mean, um, during the pandemic, we have become very reliant on technology too. And we are now entrusting um, uh, we don't carry cash around uh, as a, a nation anymore. So we're entrusting um, all of our money in our bank accounts to uh, tapping our cards of machines. And maybe there will be a moment in the future, but I don't think we're there yet. Well, clearly it's, it's, it's technically possible that everybody would be able to vote from their phone, wouldn't it be? Oh, of course it is, yeah. So, I mean, it, um, the, 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 the technology is extraordinary now. And um, it, during the pandemic, in most again, in Australia most recently, they, um, they allowed phone voting. You know, and um, I say, how is that possible? Um, because what about the privacy of the ballot? So it's a it's a two step process. You ring one call center and get a unique identifying number, and then you ring a second call center, and then this is my number, and this is how I'd like to vote. You know, it's as uh, it's as easy as that. So they, we we should be going out of our way to make it as easy as possible for people to vote, um, rather than putting barriers in their way as some people see it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this. And you're very welcome back. Art, I wanted to talk to you about the the imminent um, referendum. This is the first referendum that the Electoral Commission will be uh, will be overseeing. Have you got enough time, first of all? How much time does it take to put together the bits and pieces needed to uh, to oversee a full campaign? Yeah, we we have time. We have always said to the government and to the House the Oireachtas that we need between 14 and 16 weeks. So we had in and around um, that, that. So the, the, the administrative and logistical stuff, which is ordering paper, enough paper to drop a, um, a 16-page booklet into every household in the country has all been done and it's well underway. 
we're looking at the wording now and, and the content for the the information campaign, which will begin as soon as the legislation passes through the House of the Oireachtas, which is expected at the end of January. So we shot television ads Christmas week um, as well to encourage people to check the register and um, to, to make sure they're on the register and to advise people that there's um, an electoral event coming and um, to get themselves involved. In in this particular part of your brief, is it really quite simply that you're picking up the baton from what was previously done on a case-by-case basis by, by referendum commissions? That's exactly it. So the, the, the referendum commission legislation has just basically been transposed into the Uncommission um, Taohan um, legislation. So it, it is as simple as that. Our job is um, to create an information campaign to encourage people to get out and vote and to explain what the referendum is all about. Referendums are funny beasts, aren't they? They're somewhat, they're really rather different from elections. Um, sometimes you get good turnout. Often you don't, depending on whether they grab the imagination of the electorate or are seen as being really a really pressing issue. This one, some people would say, myself included, that it is as much symbolic as it is giving practical effect to to anything. In fact, that's been a criticism from some quarters of the wording um, since it came out. You will look at what's happening in public service media anyway to to see what might happen in, in terms of balance. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So, I mean... Um, you measure yeah. minutes and seconds on News Talk and RTE and... Ah, I, I mean, people will, will have stopwatches out, I'm sure, and yeah. um, to, to make sure that there is balance. But ultimately, the role is to make sure that the Irish people understand um, what the referendum is about, what the wording means, and um, they can they have enough information in order to help them make up their mind which way to vote. You know, that's our bottom line. Are there any particular challenges with this one? Do you think people find it confusing? I mean, there's a number of different amendments, aren't there? It's not a straightforward yes or no, in or out. There are two separate amendments, one on the family and one on care. So um, we are hoping that our crystal clear information campaign will um, will help people um, reach those decisions as well. It can be a little complicated because there are two separate changes being made to a single article in the Constitution. But um, we will have some helpful diagrams and um, sample ballot papers in the um, in the information booklet too. So people should have as much information um, to them to allow them to make it make up their mind. Now, it remains to be seen how contentious or not this particular uh, this particular vote will be. But I mean, I do recall at the um, definitely quite contentious referendum to repeal, you know, the Eighth Amendment. There was a lot of stuff going on in the in the final weeks of the campaign about social media advertising, who was spending money, who wasn't, and then there was a question of at least one of the big uh, of the big platforms um, cancelling ad bookings for 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 one side of the argument. There, how much visibility do you have of those kinds of things if they're if they're going on? How much how much information can you ask for from the the Metas and the Googles and the Xs? Well, a lot of this information is already publicly available. You just need to have to know where to look for it um, as well because I think the social media companies um, are, are trying to be responsible here as well because they are aware of the power of, um, of the various platforms. Uh, part five of the Electoral Reform Act, um, which established the Uncommission, covers um, online political advertising. Um, this part hasn't been commenced yet. There was some toing and froing with um, the European Commission in relation to the nature of it because there's a wider um, programme going on in um, in Europe at the moment. But Does that mean uh, you don't have teeth at the moment then? Um, no, we have we have plenty of teeth. I mean, um, we, we, we have, there, there can be plenty of activity 
um, that things we can do about um, media literacy and public information and engagement as well and, and highlighting um, areas where there may be uh, confusion or difficulty um, at, at all. But, I mean, the online political advertising is expected to be, that section is expected to be commenced um, in the, the months ahead which will allow for much greater transparency in relation to advertising. In time for the various elections that we mentioned? Uh, it, some of them anyway, I, I suspect. I mean, obviously it's a matter for government and it's a matter for the Oireachtas um, uh, ultimately, but um, it, it is the clear intention, I, I think, that these will be in place in advance of the elections, yeah. And so let's say, for example, a deepfake video uh, purporting to show a candidate doing something which would damage their election Prospects, And we've seen things like that in elections over the last couple of years. I think there was an example in, in Austria uh, last year, and I'm sure there are other ones around as well. And that, that shows up on, on a platform. What can you do to make sure that, number one, that it's taken down, and number two, that it's proven to be in incorrect? Yeah, well, the, the legislation covers that specific case where um, the, on, on, if somebody advises us that this deep fake video um, exists, that we will um, investigate it, and if it turns out to be fake, then um, we issue an instruction with the uh, to the social media company to remove it. You know, but and if they it, don't, but it, well, there are sanctions in place. Then you can in instruct the social media company to, um, to to replace it or to remove it. But um, I don't think it'll ever come to that. You know, I mean, the social media companies have proven themselves um, to be responsible in that in that regard. You know, and the, the, the sometimes the difficulty is time. You know, and this is um, one of the real challenges here, you know, because in the white hot heat of a general election campaign, it's a short three weeks. I mean, you, you can't spend weeks and weeks and weeks investigating issues here, you know. No, but if we, the video goes around three days before three days before a vote and, you know, as they say, it it's goes, goes around the world by the time everybody else is, you know. Uh, brush their teeth. Uh, hours matter, you know, in, in, in this case, you know, and, and this is why we're building an organization that will be um, agile and versatile and responsive. And these are not often things that um, public sector organizations are, are are accused of, you know, but um, but that's the challenge. You know, we have to be um, to be capable of dealing with that in a speedy manner that um, that calls out problems as we see them existing. This is a huge year for elections, not just not just in Ireland. There is massive elections in India, which is the world's biggest democracy. There's a very crucial election in South Africa. There are other elections in Europe, including a general election uh, in Belgium. There will be a general election across the water in the United Kingdom and therefore in Northern Ireland. Of course, there's the American election in November and there's probably our election. And uh, I seem to remember in the past, like 2016, for example, when Brexit sort of fed into then the, the, the election of Donald Trump, that you you see waves, new things emerge that you've never heard of. We never knew about Russian bot farms and things like that before, uh, before 2016. To what extent is the commission geared to whatever the next technical challenge that we probably can't quite imagine now, but I guess is probably going to have something to do with AI. Uh, is, is it geared for that? For example, one of the things with AI that some people have pointed out is it allows you to multiply by a thousand, by a factor of a thousand, the amount of stuff you can flood the zone with. And how does one cope with something like that? Yeah, we have to be responsive to it. I mean, it, it, it has always been said that there is a lag between legislation and um, technological developments, you know, so we have to cover that gap into the greatest extent possible. And ultimately, our responsibility here 
is to protect the integrity of electoral events. So whatever we have to do to protect the electoral, uh, the integrity um, of electoral events, that's what we will do. You know, we have some the legislation provides for collaboration with some great partners. You know, the National Cybersecurity Centre, the Department of Justice, the Guardi, um, the Defence Forces. All of these people um, in a room together uh, between us will be able to cope with most problems, I suspect. And does that involve having a kind of a, rap- a sort of a rapid reaction force, I suppose, to kind of, you know, to point to, yeah. point to places where disinformation is clearly there, happening? There, there will be a group where we'll have access to some uh, some of the greatest expertise in the country. And it's not just in this country as well, because th- this is a global problem, sure. um, Hugh, and, and the, the solution to the problem isn't going to be found just in this country. It'll be with collaboration with, uh, with, with others beyond our shores. And electoral management bodies and electoral commissions all over the world are working together. Some of the finest minds um, on the planet are, um, are are working on this too, you know. And um, the the difficulty is that the people with evil intent and people who want to cause chaos and um, want to to sow mistrust as well, um, they're not stupid people either, you know. So um, it, it it will be a challenge. I'm not underestimating it by any stretch, but it is something that we have no choice but to cope with. So whatever has to be done will be done. And how much of a logistical challenge is it to run the European and the local elections side by side? It's happened before, obviously. Ah, yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, not just that, there may be a, a referendum um, on that date as well. There could even but, be a general election. We've uh, had some speculation in this it, studio that, it, that I, I think it's unlikely, but it could happen. Would that, would that overload your systems? No, no. I mean, I, I think we'll, uh, we we have to cope. That's what we're, we're built in, because we can't say, you can't have the election now because we're not ready um, for you. So... The people of Limerick also will have um, on that date in June the opportunity to vote for a directly elected mayor by the looks of things and the people of Dublin may, be do, may have a plebiscite on a directly elected mayor too. So it, uh, it, it causes the confusion that is all about the number of ballot papers that you're handed when you walk in, mm. you know, and um, we've seen some court cases in the past where, um, you know, an examination of the ballot papers, you know, with the local elections and the European Parliament elections, people voted one, two, three on the local elections and then four and five on the um, on the European Parliament elections too. And that famous case in Kerry um, where, where a candidate lost by... I think it was four votes, you know, they, they, it required a re-examination of, um, of the ballots as well. So this is right in the, um, the Electoral Commission's sweet spot. Our job is to explain the difference between all of these ballot papers and what people can expect um, when they walk into a polling station. They are coloured differently, I think, aren't they? Are yes, they? yeah. And, um, and, and obviously they're labelled differently and there's people's names and uh, where they're from and uh, etc. Et as well. But you, with the use of technology, we can shoot uh, short videos to explain to people what they'll be confronted with when they walk into a polling station. But the, the, the first job is to get them to the polling station the first time, you know, to really engage people and, um, and get them out and about. And remind us when the European and local elections are. The 7th of June is the, is the Friday, um, that date. The European uh, Parliament set the, the window between the 6th and the 9th. So um, I think it's going to be the 7th, which is the Friday. And in terms of how counting takes place then, is it sequenced or do they happen simultaneously? Uh, sequenced. Um, so they'll be doing them in order. And um, I don't know actually the order in which they're taken. I suspect it's, actually I wouldn't even hazard a guess, mm. um, but I, I should find out that, I, I suppose. That's, that would be important. Well, we'll yeah. definitely find that out. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely find that out in in plenty of time, and we're certainly uh, we're certainly looking forward to that. Uh, overall, the Irish electoral system 
is pretty robust, I think, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it needs to be defended and improved and finessed in some of the ways we've talked about, but you don't see the lack of faith in it, which you you see in other democracies at the moment. No, and um, the, the latest Eurobarometer um, poll seems to indicate that 86% of the Irish people are confident in their democracy, which is extraordinary when you consider what's going on in, in the rest of the world. So, um it, 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 and the transparency of um, of the process is, uh, is is what's important here. So we are above the, Euro- the European average in, in that regard, and our job is to make sure that it stays that way. Arthur Leary, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks to our producer, John Casey, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. We'll be back with you very soon indeed. Until then, thanks very much for listening. 